morning, everyone. It's such a pleasure to be back at Crossroads again this weekend. Thank you. I'm sorry that Kayleen is not with me this weekend. She really wanted to come, but she is keeping uh, three of our grandchildren while her mommy and daddy are in Israel. They left the day after Christmas for the Holy Land, and uh, so... Uh, she has an extended uh, time of babysitting here, and I get in on that, of course, and I've discovered something in the last six months. God loves you, and your adult children have a wonderful plan for your life. And um, <laughs> I am uh, I'm now in the process of having to keep my own schedule, and uh, so uh, sometimes in that process, I don't get things right. And I scheduled a dermatology appointment this week before coming to Crossroads this weekend. And I know that some of you have given me a double take when we've gotten up close. I look like I've been to a hatchet fight without a hatchet. And uh, I just got my dates all squirreled around. And I should have been uh, perceptive enough to schedule that dermatology appointment after my visit back home here. But uh, I'm excited to preach this weekend. This weekend when... Uh, 2016 gives way to 2017. It's a transitional kind of weekend. And I want to start my message this morning by reminding you that I am not the world's greatest Mr. Fix-It. Do you remember this about me? If it were not for duct tape and super glue, I think my son outed me one weekend here. If it were not for duct tape and super glue, I would be completely worthless through the years. I've operated with this axiom. You only need two tools to fix anything in your home, a telephone and a checkbook. <laughs> and when we lived here in Newburgh, my wife Kayleen had Steve Gordon from our church on speed dial because Steve can fix anything. Steve is the ultimate handyman. He knows how to do it all. It's completely unnatural. It is really disgusting, but it's true. And my reputation of being a total loser as a repairman is as up-to-date as just a couple of months ago when we could not figure out why there was no hot water coming into the, the washing machine. So I took a bold step, personally used a pair of pliers to remove the hoses and check for clogging. And then I even reattached them, no luck. So I defaulted to the phone and checkbook repair method, and a uh, service rep came out, and we learned that you have to wait for about a minute rather than 15 or 20 seconds for the hot water to come in. 75 bucks for that little tutorial. <laughs> Humiliating. But my worst memory of home repair was the time my wife and I processed a bushel of peaches to put in the freezer, and we tried to run the peels through the garbage disposal. Well, it locked up. It died. Not good. I spent several minutes skinning up my knuckles, digging stuff out of that disposal by hand, and then I flipped the switch again and again. Nothing. I went out and tripped the breaker in the garage. Nothing. Again with the phone and checkbook. And the repairman came out and informed me that there is a reset button on the bottom of the disposal. So he pushed that little red button, and for the price of a service call, boom, we're back in business. I have 
since discovered that many of the electronic gadgets around the house have this reset button on them. Of course, it is deliberately concealed by the manufacturer so you can't find it. And then when you do find it, it takes the head of a pin to reset it. The thing is so small. But what a great invention. The reset button. Let me ask you. Do you ever wish that your life had a reset button? It would be kind of like going back in time to a better day when things were going smoothly, when things were working. You press that reset button and you can start all over. And of course, we can't go back in time literally. But at the beginning of a new year, there is this magical couple of days, December 31st and January 1st, when 2016 suddenly becomes 2017, and we all have the opportunity, opportunity to personally hit our reset button, our internal reset button. There were things back there in the past year we want to leave behind. Maybe it was a bad moral or financial decision. Maybe a relationship breakdown. Maybe an illness. Maybe a job loss. Maybe a death. Or some other defeating trial. But 2017 brings with it a new year. A new chance to go at this thing we call life. And a hopeful promise. And a strong conviction that things will be better for us this coming year. Now, for some, this reset button ushers in lifestyle changes like diet and exercise they hope will improve their health or their appearance. Or maybe it's changes to revitalize the marriage and family life to start a new year that will be better than the past year was. To stop arguing to stop flirting with the assistant in the workplace, stop fantasizing about the guy at the gym, to stop nagging, stop criticizing, stop being ungrateful, surly, or just plain bored, to stop ignoring the spouse and the kids, to stare at the smartphone. They want to be happier keep their family together, renew their love, renew their vows, renew their priority commitments. So it's important that we hit our inner reset button, not only because of lapses in our self-discipline, but also because of the fact that we are so distracted today by information and busyness. American Express says that our brains process Five times the data today that we did 20 years ago on a daily basis. That's the equivalent of several newspapers worth of information. That's a lot of mental activity. And the busyness? So how many of these statements on this list might apply to you? I feel guilty when I'm not working. Or this one. I check my business emails even on my days off and during vacation. Or maybe this, doing what I'm doing used to be fun. Now it's difficult to stay energized. 
Or maybe it's this one, I'm less organized than I used to be and find myself procrastinating more. Or maybe this, I often wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety. Or I pick up colds and flu easily. Or what about this one? I prop myself up with caffeine in the morning and sleep aids at night. Or what about this? I, find, I just routinely try to do it all and fill any leftover time I have by watching TV. Well, if it seems like you're busier than ever, yet you struggle with fulfillment, you're probably not alone. People today are more plugged in than ever before, and they're paying the price. They're paying the price of mental and physical and emotional and relational burnout. And here's what I want to submit to you at the outset here this morning. The cause, the cause of our out-of-control lifestyles and our through-the-roof stress is spiritual. Listen, Jesus said to his followers, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's the American Standard Version. Look at the NIV. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This is from Jesus. This is why he came, so your life would be impacted like this. I really like the way the New Living Translation says it. Jesus speaking, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. So what are we missing here? Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. God's Word promises that in Him we can take hold of the life that is truly life. So what are we missing? Well, what I've done for this transitional Saturday 2016 and Sunday 2017 weekend at Crossroads is to survey the entire Bible for a positive formula that we can digest together in a few minutes that will provide for us all an opportunity to hit our abundant life reset button. And I think I found it. I think I found it. You see what you think. This is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. I think that's it. I think this paragraph from the Apostle Paul will equip us to push the abundant life reset button in us. Everything that we just read in this positive, clarifying text is simple. It's simple. There is nothing there that cannot be understood. But it's not easy. It's 100% foolproof. It will work. It even comes with a guarantee, as we're going to see at the very end. But it has to be obeyed. It has to be taken seriously. It has to be applied. And if it is, 
it will produce a rich and satisfying life. So let's walk down through it. Be joyful always. That's not to say that we're to ignore sadness or sorrow. Christ followers do not live in denial. We do not deny reality, but we live each day knowing that the Lord is walking with us no matter what happens. God's faithfulness is not whimsical. It is real in its indwelling presence. And whether you and I feel it or not, whether we feel it or not, his promise is that he'll neither leave us nor forsake us no matter the circumstances. And this fact, this fact brings a deep joy, an abiding joy that's stronger than our subjective feelings. In another passage, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul emphatically commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Joy is, listen, it is a function of the will. It is deeper than happiness. We can, we can choose joy. And the Apostle Paul is as good as his word to us. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, he and Silas have been severely beaten. They're imprisoned with their feet in stocks. And what did they do? They sang. They were in extreme pain. It was pitch black in this hole where they were incarcerated. They were hungry. They were filthy. They didn't know if they were going to live or die, and they sang. Were they happy? No. But they were joyful. So the year ahead may hold some unknown trial or discouragement for you. I hope not. But in an audience this large, it just stands to reason that some of us are going to absorb some really tough things this year. I'm telling you, the presence and the power of God will uphold you. And a real deep and abiding joy is not affected by our changing moods, but rather it is dependent on our unchanging God. What about this one? Pray continually. If you only hit the reset button in one area of your life today, this is the one. Renew yourself in a commitment to pray continually. We're not talking about formal prayer. We're not talking about ritualistic prayer. We're not talking about routine prayer. We're talking about consistent prayer. There should be no prolonged gaps in our prayer life. This is a daily awareness of God's nearness. We need to be more God conscious, moment by moment through the day. We look for his blessing and thank him. We look for opportunities to release his power in the life of another person and we intercede for them. We look for evidence of his greatness and we praise him. We look for evidence of his presence and we enjoy him and we never conclude our prayer. We never truly say amen. We make it perpetual, ongoing, uninterrupted, constant. Cultivate a lifestyle of prayer an ongoing conversation with your creator, 
your heavenly father. Think of prayer as walking and talking with God through the day. I'm telling you, the best and closest times of replenishing communication with my wife are in the morning over coffee or on walks in the evening or when we're working on some project together or traveling down the road in the car or before our closing our eyes in sleep at night. That's what I'm talking about. We walk with the Lord daily. We share our lives with him moment by moment, conscious of his presence. We awaken with the knowledge that he'll be with us through the day. We go to bed at night and close our eyes in sleep with his peace. Prayer includes praising God, asking God, listening to God in a continuous communion. And I can pray with my head bowed or lifted to heaven. I can pray with my eyes closed or my eyes open. I can pray in solitude or in a crowd. I can pray anytime, any place, in any way. I can pray silently in my mind or aloud with spoken words. But it should be a continuous, unbroken communication that is never out of place in our heads, never awkward as far as we're concerned. Number three, give thanks in all circumstances. Notice it says in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. We do not thank him for crib death or cancer. We do not thank him for road rage or date rape. We do not thank him for child abuse or terrorism. We do not thank him for human slavery or sex trafficking or split churches. We do not thank him for drugs or deceivers or drunk drivers. But it is God's will that we will be thankful in all circumstances. A thankful attitude means we see the big picture of life from creation to consummation. Do you know how few people have that perspective on life? That God is in control from creation to consummation? We've got this quiet confidence as Christ followers. We have this quiet confidence, this mature understanding that God is in full control. He can be trusted even when bad things happen, and they will in this fallen world. It's not a cliche to say that he can bring light to dispel and illumine our darkness. He can break our proud hearts and humble us through our pain. He can develop our patience in the midst of a trial. He can deepen our dependence on him when we feel most helpless. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, His anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. But friends, listen, I've lived long enough to see that there are some, more often men, sometimes even Christian men, who are not about to embrace their own limitations or their desperate need for God in life's hard chapters. Humble acceptance, a thankful attitude, even in hard circumstances, a reliant trust in God, that's not a path that they're willing to walk. Harlan Lee was a very successful tractor and implement dealer in the heart of Illinois farm country. 
He built a thriving business and became a first-generation millionaire before age 50. He had a sprawling Indiana limestone home in the Mayfair edition in Champaign, an 800-acre farm in the country, a devoted wife and four adoring children. He was a big man, assertive, sometimes even brusque, a commanding presence, he was a man used to having his own way until at age 57, he had a stroke. And it left him with a partially paralyzed face, one arm drawn up and useless, dragging one foot when he walked. It was humiliating to him, it was embarrassing to him, so he stopped walking and he stopped talking. And he stopped trying. And he withdrew into an inconsolable depression that ended the day he was sitting in his reclining chair and asked his wife to go into the kitchen and fix him a plate of spaghetti. And as Vivian stood at the stove preparing the food, she heard the single shot. He had hidden a revolver in the side pocket of his chair and he was waiting for the right moment. Total despair. That's your ultimate default position. If you refuse to praise and trust God in the heat of your defeating circumstances. Number four, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Now, the Holy Spirit's fire is kindled in us when we first believe and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And when we submit to Christian baptism, we receive the gift of the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit. And His work in us is to conform us to the likeness of Jesus over time. But His work can be accelerated or it can be hindered depending on us. The Spirit's fire that brings us inner warmth, that brings us inward light, can be extinguished, it can be put out. Ephesians 4 has quite a long list of ways that you can quench the fire of the Holy Spirit in you. There's a long list of things there in that passage in Ephesians 4. Habitual lying, well, that'll put out the Spirit's fire. Anger, stealing, unwholesome talk, bitterness, slander, hatred, unkindness, unforgiveness, sexual impurity will put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Greed, coarse joking, and speech. Now, these sins, many of them might even seem to be pretty benign and harmless to us. Coarse joking, unwholesome talk, unkindness, pretty benign, pretty harmless. Oh, really? If it's like throwing water on the fire of God within us, and that's right where some of us are today, if we were honest, the malaise that we have about life in general is the result 
of putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit in us. But the good news is it can be stoked. It can be fueled. But you need to get about stirring those dying embers now, now, today, before it's too late. Hit that inner reset button. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Number five, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Now, God's people love God's Word. They love to study it. They love to hear it preached and proclaimed. Preaching has a bad reputation out there in the world, but to those of us who love to feed on the Word of God, it is important. It is significant. It is nurturing to us spiritually. Now, when it says here, uh, do not treat prophecies with contempt. What is talking about? What's it talking about exactly? Well, prophecy is one of two things. Either it's foretelling or it's forthtelling. Foretelling is to predict the future in striking detail with 100% accuracy. That's biblical prophecy. But then there's forthtelling. That's exposing, explaining, applying the Bible. And today's prophet would be a preacher, the pastor teacher. Anytime a trustworthy preacher, godly preacher, speaks God's truth in love, it should be receptive. It should be supportive. And we who are taught in the Word should honor our teachers. And there are sometimes when I teach and more often when I am taught. A few years back, a 30-something young man who happened to be a retired extreme fighter came to Christ right here at Crossroads. And in the process of discipling him after his baptism, he told me in an honest moment, he said, you know, the first time I visited Crossroads and heard you preach, I wanted to come up there and take your head off. I told him he should be sure and pack his lunch because it would take him all day. That's, that's a joke, folks. <laughs> but, but his attitude, his attitude illustrates the natural tendency in some to be defensive and to resist the authority of God's word. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, be teachable. Be humble enough to receive the implanted word. Be meek enough to receive the implanted word. In my capacity with the Solomon Foundation, I mentor, uh, coach about 130 pastors in 32 states. And I can tell you that the number one source of discouragement for the preachers that I'm working with is to have their preaching treated with contempt. Scripture says... Don't do that. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. And that may be an area where you need to hit the internal reset button. But then right on the heels of that, look what it says. Test everything. So you see, while we do not want to treat preaching or the preacher with contempt, we're commanded to test the content of everything they say. In other words, we're to be biblically literate so we can be sure that what we're being taught is true or not. And as a preacher, I can tell you, I want to be corrected. I want to be corrected. If not, I am not in line with the truth of Scripture. We're not to be complacent about the truth. We should be lifelong learners of the Word of God. 
But there are too many spiritually passive people today who are being deceived. Listen, just because someone has a huge following out there or they're on the television, that doesn't mean that they're trustworthy teachers. So don't despise what God has clearly revealed, but examine everything carefully. Don't be suspicious, but be a seeker, a defender of the truth. We're bringing it home. Number seven, hold on to the good. Hold on to the good. Don't we wish we were really good at this? As we move into a new calendar year, what if we all push the reset button on this one? Sounds a whole lot like Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I can tell you, this one is going to get more of my focused attention in 2017. I confess that I have fallen into too much preoccupation with the politics of the past year. I have fed my mind and held on to too much bad stuff. And I'm going to start holding on to the good stuff. In 2017, I'm going to shift my attention to the good I see and the good I hear about. And I am determined to make some progress this year on holding on to that which is good. There is so much out there that is not good. And if you start your day by pulling out your cell phone and queuing up the news, I'm telling you, you're going to be in danger of hanging on to a lot of bad stuff through the day. If, if it's the last thing you look at tonight before you go to sleep, I can't imagine your sleep would be very peaceful, whatever it takes, to hold on to that which is good. And then finally, he says, avoid every kind of evil. Paul warns us to stay away from even that which appears evil. Now, that's for two reasons. Number one, because if you profess that you're a disciple of Jesus, you are being watched whether you know it or not. And so avoiding even the appearance of evil, avoiding every kind of evil will ensure your faithful witness for Christ. Secondly, when we compromise our conscience and do not avoid every kind of evil, we open ourselves up to the possibility of being seduced by the world. We'll lower our standards for entertainment. We'll become more tolerant of the language and the practices of the world. It's possible to be slowly influenced at first and then eventually corrupted. And that's what it's talking about in Psalm 1.1 when it says, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's kind of the progression of how it happens, you know. We, uh, we start out, we're just walking. We just walk through the counsel of the wicked. And uh, 
we think, well, there's no real problem. But then we stop and stand in the way of sinners. And then eventually we take a seat. We take a seat with the scoffers. We've got to avoid every kind of evil. In this world in which we live today, it's pervasive. And aesthetic holiness has got a bad name. And people see you, well, you're just a fundamentalist. You're just an ultra-conservative. Stop with the labels. What's wrong with being someone who has decided that you're going to hold on to that which is good and you're going to avoid every appearance of evil, every kind of evil? Those people are in short supply. Let's be one of them. Do you need to hit the reset button here? If you're going to avoid every kind of evil, you might need to hit that reset button, the abundant life reset button. There you have it. The simple challenge from God's word today, hit the abundant life reset button. Stop settling. Eight imperatives. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to whatever is good. Avoid every kind of evil. And here's the guarantee. The next two verses in the passage. God himself. The God of peace. Will sanctify you through and through. Your whole spirit, soul, and body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. If we want to experience the abundant life, the formula is right here. He'll sanctify us through and through. Wow. In our better moments, that's what we want. Talks about peace in our better moments. That's what we want. I love this. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So let's hold up our part. By pushing that abundant life reset button. And watch what God does in our lives in 2017. Father, I thank you. I thank you that in the middle of a world with self-help gurus and self-help books and pop psychology and mind-bending worldly counsel, that we have your word so clear so right and we want to anchor to it this morning we want to be rooted in it and built up in it and I pray for every one of us to have the best year we've ever had in our lives in 2017 and Father there's no reason why it can't happen for every one of us we'll just be 
doers of the word and not hearers only. We commit to that. And we pray for the person who is here this morning and they might have their nose pressed up against the glass and they're looking at something, they're seeing something for the first time that they know they want. I pray for them to take the steps to take hold of it and to move forward into the most exciting life they've ever known. Life that is life indeed. Life that is rich and satisfying. That comes from the loving Lordship of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.